Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And welcome into AOA here today, Agriculture of America. Thank you for joining us on the program brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Powered locally, everyday products from Cenex. Welcome to the program, and uh, we have heard a government shutdown. That's one of the things we will talk about here on today's show. Coming up later on, we're going to speak with the president of the American Soybean Association, Daryl Cates. He'll join us in segment four. We're going to learn about uh, and have a discussion about a lot of uh, ag companies uh, focusing on automation and and more things surrounding that and how this whole Ag Industries is dealing with the use of automation tools and more. We're going to talk with Ken Zuckerberg from CoBank coming up in segment three today. We'll get a look at the weather with John Baranek from DTN in segment two as well. Could we be seeing a big pattern shift ahead? We're going to discuss that with him coming up here in just a little bit. Kicking off the program with us here today, though. Bar Chart Senior Market Analyst Darren Newsom is with us here as we take a look at what's going on in the market starting off the month of October. Darren, great to have you on the program with me today. I hope you're doing well. I'm doing well, Jesse, and, and quite a day to uh, to be joining you. I appreciate, appreciate you having me on again. Well, let's uh, let's dive in here and talk about things because, mm-hmm. man, oh, man, um, uh, there's a lot of, lot of chatter in the market, I guess. That will be the yeah. best way I could put it. Between everything we saw last Friday with USDA's numbers and then you have the government shutdown talk in the end of the month and starting the month of October, mm-hmm. uh, harvest pressure, there, there's – there's a lot of things going on right now in these markets, Darren. Yeah, there really is. You know, I don't know really where to start. I mean, we can go back to last Friday. It's kind of a tired subject at this point. But, you know, there was so much talk about, you know, the, the wailing and gnashing of teeth of, you know, that corn stocks were down, what, 1%. Soybeans were down 2% from the previous September 1. Yet we've seen the cash markets just collapse. That's because, you know, the, the folks who were doing most of the talking about this and most of the yelling about this, they weren't taking into account the fact demand has dropped off. It's not just a supply issue. If we look at, you know, just economics 101 tells us it's a supply and demand. So even if supplies are smaller, if there's if demand has decreased by more, the cash value, the, the intrinsic value of that market's going to come down. So, you know, the fact that we saw the uh, saw the markets, you know, break down again Friday was just a continuation of the existing patterns, the existing trends that these markets are already in. We know we know how bearish wheat is. We, we've seen a lot of commercial pressure coming in soybeans. We've seen some commercial pressure, some commercial selling in the corn market as well. Plus, I think the big thing uh, in the corn market later on Friday was the release of the CFTC uh, commitment to traders report with uh with looking at the legacy futures only where mm-hmm. non-commercial traders increased their net short futures position as of this past Tuesday by another 17,000 contracts putting it out to above 818,000 contracts this is the largest net short since 2020 but back in 2020 they were starting to reduce their position where they are continuing to increase their net short futures position here in 2023 now this is where it could get interesting though if if what's being harvested and harvest is going along quickly due to the weather, and John will talk about that. But you know, if the bushels are getting tucked away, we could see this non-commercial short futures position lead to a rally just on some short covering and short covering alone. 
Sounds like uh, quite a bit of volatility that uh, mm-hmm. a lot of our, our growers are going to have to work their way through. And uh, an interesting addition to this, I know you had your morning commentary on Monday, uh, looking at the stock market and the potential of a lot of turmoil in the stock market during the month of October, typically. Can you share your thoughts on that? Yeah, October, you know, going way back in, in the time machine, I got started in this industry back in 1987 as I watched Black, or Black Monday, I believe it was Black Monday, that whole event that kind of changed my thinking about markets and you know, took me from being a grain, a grain elevator worker to, to, you know, looking at markets more, more specifically. So over the course of history, over the, la- over the 30 years from uh, 1987 to, uh, to 2016, what we saw was October was the most volatile month. It, it was the month that showed the largest change by percent versus anything else. It's about a 4.3% change. Doesn't sound like much, but that's pretty large spread out over 30 years. So, you know, we are looking ahead to, uh, to October here with, with expecting some increased volatility. Now, breaking it down just into a seasonal study, in other words, looking at weekly closes, we actually see that in October, from, from, from the end of September through the month of October, actually up into November, we see the U- we see the S&P 500 actually continue to rally. It starts, you know, it gets, comes out of its uh, August, September break, starts to move higher. October, November, December flattens out in December. So that's the normal seasonal pattern. What's got everybody concerned this time around is all of the talk and all of the hollering about how we're going to see, you know, we're still going to see a recession. It's going to be a hard landing. The stock market's going to crash, all of these things. And if it does, is it going to pull the cash markets with it? Because there is a connection between stock markets and cattle markets. So mm-hmm. that was the big fear over the weekend. Looking at the seasonal tendencies, looking at some of these other patterns of the S&P, I don't see it. Is it a possibility? Yes, we've closed lower two months in a row uh, in the S&P 500. Often we get three months against the trend. If so, we could see some pressure at least here early in October before the market moves back into a more seasonal pattern. So I have to think to to sum this up, whether we're talking grains or livestock, Darren, that a lot of producers just need to probably be on their toes at this point and and pay attention and, and, and not get complacent. Uh, we know things are busy, harvest, as you mentioned, rolling along quickly, but making sure you, you keep an eye on your marketing plans, I, I think is going to be key right now, isn't it, Derek? Uh, it is. I mean, folks should have plenty of their 2023 and some 2024 corn soybeans already taken care of. We've had the opportunities, you know, the markets have been in downtrends, you know, for over a year now. So, I mean, there should be plenty of that done, but we can watch the markets because basis continues to weaken and these sorts of things. So we have to we have to be careful with these. Now, on the livestock side, it's actually pretty simple. Uh, you can either buy some puts in both feeders and live cattle, or just co- contract cash if that if that option if that opportunity is available to you. Because I mean, these are incredible levels, mm-hmm. uh, and if we're worried about stock market crashes, just go ahead and get some cash contracting done. You know, you're going to have the cattle. Just go ahead and and, and work them out uh, and, and sell them out. So. You know, it, it's actually easier right now in the cattle, despite all the possibility of this increased volatility from stock markets and everything else. Still a little more difficult in the grains as we try to figure out, you know, how these things are going to react. The short positions in corn, you know, the uh, government, uh, the fall government insurance price being calculated here in October, that tends to throw another uh, little aspect into the fun of October. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of things going on. But yes, can't lose sight of the markets at this point. To your point there about cattle puts, real quick, uh, do you when you look at the charts, do you feel like a top could maybe be in in this cattle market or or not so much? 
Technically, it's it's very difficult. I mean, cattle have been living by you know Newsom's market rule number four A: a market that can't go down won't go down. And these markets, no matter how many times they've looked top heavy, looked like they're topping and everything else, they just don't go down. The cash market starts to come back up, just as we saw at the end of September. Now, mm -hmm. the one little difference this time around is that the boxed beef market was weaker. Now, some of this is seasonal, so we can't get overly excited about it. So we'll have to see how it all plays out. I'm not overly worried about the cattle market. We can slide some puts in way well underneath where the market is right now, or again, just make some cash sales and we should be fine. Senior market analyst with Bar Chart, Darren Newsom. Always enjoy the conversation and the insight. Thanks for joining us here on AOA today. We'll talk to you again next week. Really appreciate you having me on again, Jesse. And coming up next here on AOA, brought to you by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. We'll get an update on the weather situation as we start October with John Baranek from DTN. That's next on AOA. When people look at your farm, they just see corn. But to you, it's a lot more than that. It's a college fund, your retirement plan. And it deserves trait protection that can stand up to heavy pressure threats like corn woodworm. SmartStacks Pro with RNAi technology is trusted on over 1 million acres to protect the things that mean more. Trade up at SmartStacksPro.com. Always read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, where applicable, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices. Copyright 2023 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. Paid non-attorney spokesperson. Are you over the age of 60 and been diagnosed with lung cancer? If so, you and your family may qualify for a cash award. Our experienced attorneys are standing by to evaluate whether you have a lung cancer claim that qualifies you for a cash award. The consultation is absolutely free and there is no risk and no money out of pocket. We only receive a fee when we secure you and your family a settlement. 250,000 people are diagnosed with lung cancer every year. You're not alone in this battle. We can help make sure that you and your family are financially safe and that medical expenses are covered. Again, if you've been diagnosed with lung cancer and are over age 60, call now. Don't delay. There are deadlines for filing claims. We're standing by 24-7. Call us at 1-844-903-1744. 1-844-903-1744. That's 1-844-903-1744. Attorney Advertising. William Stephacker Jr. is the attorney responsible for this ad. Main office, Granton, Pennsylvania. May not be available in all states. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more.
While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve, together we can make a difference, bite by bite. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. Welcome back to AOA, brought to you by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Well, I know this uh, past weekend, uh, there was plenty of heat in some parts of the Midwest that just doesn't seem normal for this time of year. Also saw some decent rain, but we could be looking at a pretty big pattern shift, it sounds like, this week ahead. Here to give us an update, DTN meteorologist John Baranek is with us. John, always good to talk with you. I hope your week is uh, starting off well. Well, yeah, it's feeling like we're back in summer, Jesse. I mean, <laughs> the temperatures are, you know, like typical for what we would expect for mid-July, not uh, the beginning of October. Um, I mean, there was a lot of us. It, it went all the way up to the Canadian border. Mm -hmm. um, Eastern North Dakota and Northwest Minnesota saw 90 degrees up there. So um, I, I didn't check Winnipeg, but it might have even crossed the border up into Winnipeg. So, I mean, it, it, was, it was just kind of crazy. You know, you don't really talk about 90 degree temperatures in, in Minneapolis or, or Fargo in October very mm -hmm. often. Um, so it, it's been pretty wild. Um, you know, I had the kids out there running in the sprinklers and everything like that. And I just, just felt like summer. I was going to say, I bet some families probably wish the pool was still open here <laughs> at the end of September, beginning of October. Yeah. Very abnormal. Uh, but I have to think as well, John, really, uh, from what I'm hearing, really helping advance harvest along in many portions of the, uh, upper Midwest, just with the, the dry weather and the heat and the window, just giving farmers a, a pretty wide opportunity to get this year's crop out of the field. Yeah, I think you're totally right on that. Um, you know, especially with the kind of rainfall we saw the previous week, uh, you know, it was widespread across most of the Corn Belt, uh, some pretty decent rainfall. And so, you know, I think it, it kind of delayed folks a little bit there, but, you know, getting that heat, uh, a little bit of wind and uh, and some, some good sunshine uh, probably helped things out quite a bit. I know, you know, driving around here in Minnesota this weekend, they're, they're, Plenty of crops out, uh, corn, beans, both. So uh, I know, I'm know i pretty sure that's uh, widespread across the Corn Belt as well. Well, let's take a look at this week ahead. I know we saw some of those rains you mentioned and the heat. Is this going to stick around this week, or are we going to see this uh, this potential big pattern shift that I've been hearing some chatter about? Oh, yeah, it's it's going to come crashing like a rock here, Jesse. Uh, we've got a, a big trough out in the west right now, and they've actually had some pretty decent precipitation out there. Uh, over the weekend, that's going to move itself eastward this week. So this big ridge causing this big heat bubble across the eastern half of the U.S. is going to be moving eastward and allow this trough to move through. And just giant cold front and system will be moving through as well. We'll see, you know, temperatures come back to reality uh, for us here uh, for, for October for, for most of us uh, at some point here this week as it, as it slowly kind of creeps away or creeps through tomorrow through about Friday uh, from west to east from the Rockies to the East coast. So um, it'll take some time to do so, but once it does, I mean, temperatures are going to drop immediately 20 degrees behind this front. And then we'll get some more cold air settling in, especially across the, the Northern Plains and upper Midwest here by late this week. Um, and that, you know, we're going to talk about nineties um, over the weekend. And today we're going to drop those down into the fifties. So, you know, that's a good 30, 40 degree drop in temperatures. Mm -hmm. um behind this so it's a pretty significant uh, uh 
cold snap coming through, but it's not going to last long. Um, it'll last through the weekend. Well, and but the the pattern's kind of progressive, meaning it'll keep moving. So that trough is going to keep moving off the east coast. We'll build up another ridge across the west, and then it'll spread into the, the the middle of the country here for next week. So um, you know, maybe three four days of some pretty decently chilly air until we kind of crank some warmer temperatures back up. I don't know if we'll see widespread mm-hmm. 90s across the western half of the Corn Belt again, but uh, definitely temperatures in the 80s are, are are on the board. Yeah, a little bit of a seesaw type of pattern here to begin the month of October. John, with those cooler temperatures, first frost, widespread frost, uh, what's the outlook on that? And second part of that question, though, even with the first frost, with just how mature and, and dry things have been for a lot of the crop, you know, what areas will that first frost necessarily really matter like like most years? I, I guess kind of a two-part question there for you, John. What's the outlook for frost? And then how much of an effect will it really have this year? Yeah, well, I think we have a decent uh, shot at our first frost uh, across the northern plains. The Dakotas, uh, Montana, Minnesota, definitely in for it. Um, it. I would actually be surprised if we didn't see our first frost here late this week or weekend. Um, it may be difficult to get down, you know, farther than Nebraska um, over the, the the weekend. We might see a couple spots there in Kansas or, or Colorado that 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 uh, get their first frost. Mm-hmm. And the farther east you get, the more moderate these temperatures will be. So it'll be really hard to do, uh, but not out of the question across the Ohio Valley. Um, uh, there may be a spot here or there and, you know, if conditions set up just right, uh, with some, some clear skies and, uh, some, uh, low winds or, or none at all that we, we could see some, some frost, uh, happen there. Sure. But, um, you know, it's pretty typical this time of year to get our first frost in these areas. Uh, the Northern Plains usually get it at sometime in September. So getting it the, you know, first week of October is not out of the question. Um, you know, if you get down towards the Ohio Valley, it's usually kind of mid-October, mid-late October. So it's a little bit on the early side, but you know, you're right with how, how advanced, um, the crop has been this year and, you know, all the heat and dryness we had at the tail end of the season to really kind of get that to maturity quickly. Um, I don't see a whole lot of, uh, major issues. Now there could be some, uh, folks out there that either had to replant, um, yeah. or just, you know. Yeah, especially I'm looking at North Dakota at uh, some some later planting that they had um, uh, up there because of some wetness this spring. That might have some issues there in some spots, but you know overall uh, the crop's pretty well advanced, so I don't see any major issues. And since it's over, it's really an, an overnight thing, early morning thing. Uh, any folks out there with winter wheat, I don't think um, will have issues with that either. So overall, the, the frost is coming uh, for a lot of folks. Um, may not get to all areas of the corn belt but uh, even if it does it i don't think it's gonna matter too much mm-hmm. john baranek dtn meteorologist joining us here today and uh, to your point there john some of those folks maybe in the northern states uh, could have a little impact or you know maybe folks who have some flowers or their garden in their backyard maybe some potential impacts there late season as we typically see but uh, we'll we'll keep an eye on the frost and more moving forward let's move our focus to south america here as well john before we run out of time uh, what's the latest with brazil and argentina as they get their planting season ramped up yeah it de- really depends on where you're at and there's kind of three zones that are are a little bit different here if you start in argentina they've been really dry and it's been kind of surprising because they've had plenty of systems moving through over the last couple of months it's just you know been spotty light showers for the most part 
they get another one of those here uh, tomorrow, and then they go dry again. So um, uh, th that area, um, we're, we're looking at uh, wheat going through their filling process, uh, some early corn planting and establishment going on right there. And they're kind of on the dry side for that. They're, so they're, they're going to be wanting some more rainfall. They're just not really going to get it here for the next week or so. Um, if you get into southern Brazil, though, I mean, those fronts that have been moving through Argentina have really been lighting up and they've been having all sorts of flooding issues, um, uh, either with their wheat or, or their, that their corn, they might have to replant in some cases, the front that goes through Argentina tomorrow really lights up again here for, for Wednesday and Thursday. Um, they may get another burst of, of heavy rainfall over the weekend. Uh, so they're going to have issues there with some flooding. Otherwise, if they're, if they're not dealing with flooding, they've got lots of soil moisture around uh, for their early establishment. So things are, are, are going you know, as long as the flooding is not too much of a concern, are, are in pretty good shape. And then if you go into central Brazil, which is a huge production area, you know, they, they went on their, their wet season showers and they, they came in basically on time last week. Uh, and they should be kind of a daily occurrence now through the end of the season. Models are a little bit more on the dry side, uh, a little bit more sporadic with them here. But, you know, with a couple of those fronts moving through southern Brazil and getting into central Brazil, it should enhance those showers. So I'm not really overly concerned about it. Um, we just saw out of the state of Mato Grosso last Friday that they're a little bit behind last year's pace on planting for soybeans, um, which was a little surprising to me. Uh, but they're right on their average pace for their five-year average anyway. Mm -hmm. And with the rain season kind of in there, I think everything's kind of shaping up pretty good for central Brazil. So I mean, we have some issues in Argentina. We have some flooding, some dryness issues in Argentina, some flooding sure. issues in southern Brazil, but central Brazil's in in pretty good shape right now. So, I mean, if you kind of add it up, um, overall, it's it's uh, it's going pretty well down there, at least early on this season. John, about thirty seconds. Any final thoughts uh, for us looking at weather this week? Yeah, you know, you know, it was kind of wild to see that shift in the uh, weather pattern here for this week. You know, when we were looking at it last week, we weren't really thinking about that, but you know. This is the time of year when this kind of stuff happens. So uh, fall season is a good, a good uh, chance to get some ups and downs. And it looks like most of October is going to kind of be that way. Mm -hmm. um, we don't get a huge signal up or down from any of the models. So that just triggers in my head. Well, we're probably going to see some variability out of it. So uh, some ups and downs in temperatures and, and in some precipitation, too, is uh, what we're expecting. DTN meteorologist John Baranek joined us here today on AOA. And John, always great to talk with you. Have an awesome week. We'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me, Jesse. And coming up next here on AOA, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, power to perform. We'll have a conversation with Ken Zuckerberg from CoBank. That's next here on AOA, Agriculture of America. Challenge. It's not something you shy from. It's a chance to up your game. Every day brings a new challenge, but with the Enhanced Channel Seed brand on your side, you can rise to it. With our top performing seed, innovative digital tools, and expanded agronomic support, you can turn tomorrow's challenges into your next advantage. Your Enhanced Channel Seed brand. Let's rise to the challenge. Learn more at channel.com slash rise. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. 
And we're back looking at another lopsided matchup, Jim. Today we have a combine taking on a train. Yeah, that heavy train is about a thousand times heavier than the combine. No competition there. Right, especially given that it'll take at least a mile to stop that train. That's 18 football fields. It's no contest. Every day people are injured or killed trying to beat a train at rail crossings. See tracks think train this message brought to you by operation lifesaver you're listening to aoa for the american egg network i'm richard risvet with this market update well the government is back open for at least 45 more days and as we start a new fiscal year congress did extend the lifeline in the 11th hour with a stopgap funding bill that will extend the government for 45 more days the vix this morning is elevated back above 18 The dollar index is trading higher, putting it just below last week's 10-month highs, as Treasury yields are remaining elevated as well. Crude oil prices are also modestly higher this morning, and after Friday's sharp sell-off, grain and oilseed prices are mixed to higher. The grain and oilseed markets did flush lower on Friday after USDA released its quarterly stocks and small grain summary reports. The most bearish portion of the reports was the small grain summary, which pegged the all-wheat crop at 1.812 billion bushels. That's up 78 million bushels, or 4.5% from USDA's August estimate. Now, that is an unusually high jump in production between August and September, including more than a 9% rise in Kansas yields during that short period, as well as a 24% jump in Minnesota and 43% yielding increase in South Dakota. All wheat stocks on September 1st only came in 8 million bushels above the average trade estimates and up just 24 million bushels year on year. That's suggesting the increased production was nearly matched by an increase in feed usage, leaving little change to the bottom line. Prices, however, collapsed on the report as traders focused on rising domestic and global supplies. Soybean stocks came in at 26 million bushels above trade expectations, which may quickly disappear with lower yields in the October report, but their prices also collapsed lower. Corn stocks as of September 1st came in 60 million bushels lower than expected. That's suggesting stronger feed demand there as well, but they too succumbed to the selling. Bottom line is that the market currently has a negative bias toward the sector. That could and oftentimes does change by early to mid-October, but for now, we need to recognize that bias. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And thanks for staying with us here today on AOA, Agriculture of America, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. 
course, this harvest season in full swing. Make sure that you uh, keep your combines and tractors and semis running with that premium diesel from Cenex. Find your nearest Cenex location very easily online, Cenex.com, or might be able to find it right around the corner. Everyday products powered locally, that's Cenex. Well, I saw an article come out late last week from our friends at CoBank titled Ag Retailers Future Rides on Integrating Agronomy and Autonomy. Very interesting stuff, and I wanted to um, dive into this a little bit more with Ken Zuckerberg from CoBank. He joins us here today on AOA. Ken, it's great to have you back on the show. I hope you're doing well. Yes, likewise. Great to be with you today, Jesse. Well, let's dive in, and I thought this was really interesting. There's been a lot of talk about autonomy and, and really just looking at the whole picture of sustainability and how can ag retailers and, and companies implement these things together. And I know there's been some issues facing certain ag retailers with structural challenges and more. And so really, can you just start and kind of dive into what are some of the problems we've been facing uh, just to kind of start off the conversation today? Sure, happy to. So, Jesse, as you know, there's been a number of issues uh, plaguing all businesses uh, and ag retailers in uh, particular. You have higher operating costs, you have labor shortages. Uh, the higher operating costs uh, come from a number of places. The past couple of years, insurance premiums for uh, property coverage have risen. And as you know, the Federal Reserve has raised interest rates. So when you think about just funding costs, those are uh, have been uh, escalating as well. The labor issue, look, this is not a new uh, dynamic. What is new, however, is wage, upward wage pressure. And then there's this, the uh, one that I think is so, so important. The farmer is changing, right? The American farmer is moving towards uh, a greater level of sophistication. They are controlling more acres. They have uh, a passion for uh, reducing costs. And that's where this side of technology that candidly, the, the party has been going on for a decade with ag tech, right? The issue is what mm -hmm. are the one or two tools that can be used to really, uh, you know, deliver a lot of value. So our thesis uh, in a simple form is, is that you bring together agronomy, autonomy, and precision, and you have a recipe that adds value to the farmer, and the retailer has the ability, in our opinion, to deliver this. Well, and Ken, to your point, um, just marrying autonomy, agronomy, and how you said, you know, the farmer is changing it almost feels like not only is there a big opportunity here to adapt to some of our, our business models, but also it feels kind of like a necessity at this point, isn't it? No, I'd agree with you. And look, when we think about it, um, change is difficult, right? And, um, uh, you know, there have been some uh, structural uh, problems or at least core issues where um, the farmer has had every right not to adopt, right? There's data security, there's privacy. And then Jesse, there's something a little bit funny, right? If uh, somebody is selling you technology and you can't prove the ROI, would you invest in that technology? <laughs> the answer is no. So I think what you have is sort of a confluence of external factors along with though some interesting technology that uh, comes to bear that actually can uh, deliver on a number of things. Now, what I 
also want to tell you is, uh, you know, we're not being Pollyanna here, right? It's been 10 years since uh, Monsanto bought Climate Corp. There have been hundreds of startups and lots of flame outs and probably more to come. So when we think about this, we look at those companies like CNH buying Raven and having um, really some interesting autonomous um, equipment and autonomous uh, systems to, you know, work with the farmer. Raven, for example, um, views the farmer as the end customer, but the ag retailer as the channel partner. Again, Jesse, what am I missing here? You have the retailer with this trusted, close relationship with the farmer. You have the equipment company that is basically delivering the technology and wants to collaborate. And then you have all these interesting uh, tools that you know are sort of next generation of the yield monitors and the mm-hmm. um, ability to you know uh, see and spray weeds and and really uh, farm more sustainably and more efficiently. And you know I'm looking at this saying, can we just get everyone in the same room <laughs> together yeah. to to deliver value? And by the way, you're the customer, the farmer is demanding this. And, you know, my dad taught me a pretty simple rule uh, about life. If the customer wants something, just give the person what they want. And, you know, that's where the, you know, business relationship um, solidifies. So what I've tried to do here is take a lot of concepts and boil it down to the farmer's changing, the retailer has pressures, there's a willing um, collaborator in a positive way uh, mm-hmm. to deliver value to the end user. So let's get together and um, uh, you know sort of uh, work work the business model out. So that that's really the uh, uh, sort of the backstory to the to the uh, paper that you referenced. We're talking with Ken Zuckerberg from CoBank. Well, Ken, I know as well. I think we have some you know real time. Um, a, a real-time evidence of what you are talking about here just at the end of September. Agco announcing they're acquiring, um, I think it was, what, an 85% stake in Trimble for $2 billion. So uh, maybe you can talk about that a little bit. I mean, that's fresh news that's kind of pointing to a lot of this uh, narrative you're talking about here. Yeah, no, uh, you're right, Jesse. There was a small deal. I'm I'm being funny here. A a deal uh, on uh, Thursday, Friday announced uh, in the in the space. And I think there's a few ways to look at it. So first of all, Eric Hansosha at Agco is uh, you know the former head of strategy and innovation, and is a very bright guy. And as you know, Agco was uh, ranks behind uh, Deere and CNH in terms of the U.S. So I think uh, uh, you look at Agco and Trimble, and uh, one could argue this is an appropriate response two years later after the CNH Raven merger. Um, then you say to yourself, okay, why are these things happening to begin with? So the larger companies that are uh, OEMs selling the tractors and combines and sprayers, right? These companies know that the farmer is looking for more advanced tools technologies. So CNH uh, uh, bought Raven. You now see Agco buying uh, Trimble. And of course, John Deere has been a pioneer in ag tech for quite a long time. So I think it, it's consistent with the thesis that uh, to be competitive many, many years from now, the equipment companies want to have that ability to deliver greater advanced technology. 
Now, when I think about this, and again, I don't want to offend anybody, but when you think about the technologies that these equipment companies are buying, the lines are blurring, right, between precision and agronomy. So left unchecked, i.e. if the retailers are not looking at the trends the way I'm looking at it, then at some point the farmer might say, well, Mr. Equipment Company, can we just get everything and the agronomic advice for you? And at that point, if the retailer doesn't deliver, I think it's not a good story. <laughs> the good news is we're in the second or third inning on this journey, and I think the ag retailers have a tremendous opportunity to you know, be part of the conversation, be part of the partnerships, um, to collaborate. And again, what I've been saying for a couple of years, and Jesse, I only have a few more years left to say this, right? What I've been <laughs> saying is that, yeah, you know, once I retire, I'm not going to talk anymore. Um, but what I've been articulating is that the retailer has a proud history with a close relationship with the farmer. The farmer trusts five people on a good day, right? So if mm -hmm. you have this ability to deliver value, to bring along, to educate, and the equipment providers are basically saying, retailer, we want to be your partner in this. I think there's a triple win, a win-win-win for the farmer, equipment company, and the retailer. And by the way, there's probably a fourth win, which is the environment and you know, uh, continuing to uh, allow the American farmer to prove uh, uh, what they, uh, how, how good of a steward of, of the land they are. So that, that's kind of the, the thought process there. Sure. Ken, we have about a minute. I, I want to ask as well, and I don't know how much you looked at this with, with your report here, uh, is the, the boom of AI and artificial intelligence maybe playing a, a new role here as well and, and creating more of this scenario possibly? I'd say the answer is yes, and ironically, uh, artificial intelligence, along with uh, mobility and other sort of, uh, uh, you know, innovative and, if you will, disruptive technologies, they've been talked about in ag tech circles for the past couple of years. When you think about data, um, algorithms uh, uh, powered by data to offer prescriptions and recommendations uh, on a field. Um, you know, that is the power of artificial intelligence. The machine learning is uh, the way I think about it is you have advanced computational power today that mm -hmm. uh, basically brings together sort of um, insights and decision making in a much uh, quicker um, uh, period than ever before. So AI definitely figures in this heavily. But of course, before we get too fancy with AI, we have to uh, get the will of all parties to say, wait, this actually could be interesting. Tell yep. me more about the tool. Definitely. Well, I know folks can read more on CoBank's website under the Knowledge Exchange. With that, Ken Zuckerberg with CoBank. Always great to have a conversation. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks so much, Jesse. All the best. All right, coming up next, we'll talk with American Soybean Association President Daryl Cates here on AOA, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a diesel that does it. Mess around. Back with more right after this. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans and, if left untreated, can lead to death. 
Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen. It's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from throughout the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. When people look at your farm, they just see corn. But to you, it's a lot more than that. It's a college fund, your retirement plan, and it deserves trait protection that can stand up to heavy pressure threats like corn woodworm. SmartStacks Pro with RNAi technology is trusted on over 1 million acres to protect the things that mean more. Trade up at smartstackspro.com. Always read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, where applicable, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices. Copyright 2023 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. The archaeological record suggests that wheat was first cultivated in the regions of the Fertile Crescent, also known as the Cradle of Civilization, around 9600 BC. The Roman goddess Ceres, who was deemed protector of the grain, gave grains their common name today, cereal. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three-quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. The first bagel rolled into the world in 1683 when a baker from Vienna, Austria, was thankful to the King of Poland for saving Austria from Turkish invaders, the baker reshaped the local bread so that it resembled the king's stirrup. The new bread was called bugel, derived from the German word for stirrup. Ancient traditional tortillas were made from ground corn by Mexican natives as long as 2,000 years ago. However, flour tortillas only started to become popular in the 19th century. More types of foods are made with wheat than with any other cereal grain. These farm facts brought to you by the American Egg Network. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work 
by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA here today. Jesse Allen back with you. Today's program brought to you by our friends at Cenex, Cenex Premium Diesel, Cenex Roadmaster XL, everyday products powered locally. That's Cenex. Well, we mentioned this at the top of the show, and I think a lot of folks were surprised that the government stayed open here over the weekend as it looked like we were racing to a government shutdown. So we want, we want to talk about that. We also want to talk about the anti-checkoff legislation that did not make it through. Uh, that was voted down last week. And get an update on Harvest as well. Daryl Cates, president of the American Soybean Association, joining us here today on AOA. And uh, Daryl, it's great to talk with you again. I hope you're doing well. Thank you very much. Great to talk to you. Uh, doing well. We finished our corn harvest yesterday, which was, uh, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, in t two years ago, I finished on the same day, October 1st. Wow. Wow. That's, uh, that's got to be something that's uh, <laughs> an interesting, interesting caveat there. Maybe it's just a, a point that, uh, you know, with our new varieties and more, we're getting things done a little bit earlier in the fall season uh, more and more. How is uh, how did that corn harvest look? Uh, let's just start there and talk harvest. How how are things looking on your farm? What have you heard from your neighbors? Are are things looking pretty good there in southern Illinois? Corn in our uh, local area is a little better than what we were expecting. Uh, a lot of yields uh, between the 180 and uh, 220. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like uh, on our farm, we're going to be real close to averaging uh, almost 200 bushel over the whole farm which is just excellent for uh, considering what June looked like. I thought we were going to have a disaster. So, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. uh, in the area, uh, there are some real good beans. And then there's beans that are only doing uh, 38 to 45 bushel an acre. So it's kind of over the board on the beans. Well, it'll be interesting. I know you mentioned to me before we jumped on the air, you're going to dive into your beans here today. So uh, we'll have to get a report yeah. from you once that's done and see how your beans uh, yielded here this year. Daryl, let's uh, talk about a few things going on in D.C. And uh, first off, um, the government shutdown averted. Uh, I think a lot of folks breathed a, a sigh of relief here over the weekend. Also, I think a lot of folks were surprised. Uh, were you surprised, the American Soybean Association, a bit surprised that we, we actually averted a shutdown here temporarily? I know a, a new deadline mid-November. Yes, I, I was surprised because all indications were um, Friday at the close of business uh, and I thought for sure that it was definitely a, a done deal that they were going to go into a shutdown. But uh, luckily, uh, 
I guess they were able to work something out and, uh, and at least, uh, keep it open for 45 more days. I'm still worried. Uh, hopefully they can get, uh, the, uh, they're uh, together and compromise between the two parties and, and even in between uh, the Republican Party to be able to keep uh, the government running after the 45 days. Yeah, and obviously, I mean, there's a lot on the line here. And I know for agriculture, of course, we're trying to get a farm bill done. And uh, that's going to be uh, something to keep an eye on as well. Can we can we figure things out and, and be bipartisan and governed and then also uh, get this farm bill done? I know that's top of mind for a lot of folks in agriculture, Daryl. It is. Uh you know, when I took over as president uh, back on uh, last December, uh, I said that we were going to get this farm bill done this year while I was president. And I'm still a little optimistic that we might be able to. If, if they can get this uh, budget figured out, uh, I think uh, a lot of the uh, work is done already on the farm bill that they might be able to get it done by December 30th. And... Uh, uh, we might be able to get it done, but uh, if we have issues more with this budget deal uh, in 45 days, then uh, I'm a little worried that uh, the uh, farm bill might get definitely put on the sidelines and might not happen until next uh, first quarter next year. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think I share that sentiment with you. We'll just have to see what happens. I know as well the U.S. House batted down the anti-checkoff amendment from Representative Victoria Sparts of Indiana here last week. And I know many, many ag groups were pleased to see that. Can you share your thoughts on that amendment being voted down? Yeah, we, the American Soybean Association, were just thrilled with uh, – how uh, strongly the vote was uh, to uh, kill that amendment. And uh, uh, we, I mean, the checkoff does a lot of good. And I mean, mean, there's uh, so much uh, with the new uses that are coming on uh, from the checkoff dollars that, uh, and and, uh, research being done with the biodiesel and aviation fuels and, and just biofuels in general, uh, all coming from checkoff dollars, uh, it, it's, uh, it would have been a disaster to have killed our checkoff. Do we anticipate uh, any run at the checkoffs again, possibly here, maybe in, a, in the next, con- you know, moving forward and getting into next year beyond that? Do you think uh, that could be a possibility? Daryl, what have you heard from folks on Capitol Hill? It seems like uh, this uh, has been a, an oncurring uh, occurrence here the last few years that it, it keeps being brought up. So I wouldn't say that it's it's done deal, that it's over, that uh, I wouldn't be a bit surprised that, uh, you know, next year that you might see something again. Or uh, even in the farm bill, we have to... Uh, watch out that something doesn't uh, try and get uh, put into the farm bill about the uh, checkoff. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, Daryl, we uh, do appreciate the time. We're up against the clock here on AOA today, but uh, look forward to getting you back on and having a conversation again in the future and appreciate your thoughts here today. And uh, best of luck with the remaining harvest there on your farm in Southern Illinois. And we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you very much. Have a great day.
And once again, Daryl Cates, the president of the American Soybean Association, joining us here today on AOA. And we always appreciate his time. And that's going to do it for the program today. Brought to you by Cenex, Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, everyday products powered locally. That's Cenex. Coming up on tomorrow's program, we'll have a conversation with Dow Brantley from USA Rice. We'll also learn more about the Poultry Growers Fairness Act with Kelly Lester from the John Locke Foundation. That and more coming up here tomorrow on AOA. Thanks for joining us here on the program today. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Have a fantastic rest of your day. Non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home and you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? Then we have good news for you. Foreclosure Protection Services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect that may save your home. Call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. We, 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 we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org.